Okay, let's do our customary examination of the agenda. I want to point out that this may be the first time in many, many months that the agenda has been printed on one page. Um, we will separate out items in item nine. We have registrations who wish to speak. What other items would you like separation on? I'd like separation on 10. 12. 12. 13. 13. Anything else for separation? Good. Alderwoman Rummel, can we have a motion to adopt the recommendations on contained in the report on 1 through 8 and 11? So move to adopt 1 through 8 and 11 with the recommendations. Thank you. Second. There is a second. Uh, on the suspension to take those up, all those in favor, aye. Aye. Opposed, no. Motion carries. Now the motion to adopt them, Alderwoman Rummel. Move approval. Motion to approve. Second. Recommendations on 1 through 8 and 11. There is a second. Discussion. Separation. Seeing none. All those in favor, aye. Aye. Opposed, no. Motion carries. So... We've completed that portion of the agenda except for items uh, 9, 10, 12, and 13. And I'm glad that the city attorney is here because Mr. May, I have a question. Um, I'd like Chief Davis to just give us an update on what our firefighters did uh, this morning. It's not on the agenda. It's not posted. It's not an action item. Will there be any problem with that? Public comments? Yes. Very good. We'll call for the chief on public comments then. Chief, don't go away, please. Public comment, Chief. Would you just comment for the public and for us about what happened in the last 24 hours or so? Well, um, hours. yeah, I got, I got a call about 3.45 this morning asking for our uh, technical rescue team to respond um, to Iron Ridge, Wisconsin. I'll be honest, I had to Google to find out where that was, but oh. it's up in the middle of Dodge County. Um, they had um, found evidence that there was three teenage kids trapped in an abandoned mine. Um, so we responded as part of a um, Mavis, which is a mutual aid box alarm system that we've all agreed to in the state of Wisconsin. We were requested through that. We are not the uh, regional technical rescue team for there. Um, however, responded through Mavis. And I'm happy to report that um, they found the kids at about 12.30 this afternoon, relatively uninjured, somewhat scared, obviously, and happy to be found. Um, the state did call in the regional team, which responds out of Milwaukee at about 10 a.m. So Madison Fire and Milwaukee Fire worked um, in unison to uh, finish the rescue that Madison had started. So should be very, very proud of the team. Um, they handled themselves very, very well, and uh, 
obviously there aren't a lot of abandoned mines in Madison, so um, the training has paid off because they do train on that type of thing, uh, knowing full well they could be requested for, for that type of event anywhere really in the state. So they specifically went into the mine? Mm -hmm. Yep. They found the kids in a an, uh, 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 collapsed, abandoned part of the southern part of the mine. Um, when Milwaukee arrived, our team had had about 75% of the mine cleared. Um, and then one of our rescuers actually saw a footprint in a hole, um, and that's what um, got them pointing in the right direction. So they had to crawl through some collapsed areas and things to get to them. What specifically do you do to safely go into a mine like that and make sure you come out yourself? Mm -hmm. Well, they relied heavily on the DNR who monitors the mine very frequently. The property is owned by the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, and they do a lot of bat research. Uh, apparently it's one of the, the bigger bat uh, sanctuaries in the state. Um, so there were people on scene very familiar with the air qualities and different things like that. So they did some air monitoring and made sure they, they kept themselves safe, obviously. Are they going in with maps of the mine? They did have maps of the mine, yes. Um, but they're aerial views, so, you know, to translate that one-sided map to what they actually saw was very difficult. And what gear did they use? They used their their city purchased uh, safety gear, ropes, and, and air equipment, and monitors, and different things. So, any other questions? Do we know why those kids thought they would like to visit the interior of the mine? Well, three teenage boys. Yeah. <laughs> no, Your guess is as good as mine. Um, Thinking back to being 16 myself, it might have been something uh, that was interesting. And apparently they were doing fine until the flashlights on their iPhones died. <laughs> yeah, that's so, a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> very good. Any other questions? Thank you for your support. Thank I did you send an email to uh, all your colleagues. Right. So, so thank you. An email and um, I sent you an email yep. ask asking I got that. for we'll take care of it. report. Yep. Exactly what transpired and yep. background on training. Thank you all. And it's good just to have some good news today. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. Great. Item number nine: authorizing the use of uh, 100,000 from direct appropriations for purposes of authorizing two community building and engagement contracts, authorizing the mayor and the clerk to extend these contracts. Is there a motion? Motion to approve. Is there a second? Second. There is. Uh, Pat Butler. Supporting, wishing to speak, followed by Kevin Hutchins. Supporting, wishing to speak, followed by Paul Terranova. You could want to, all three of you can come up at the same time. We'll take much less than the nine minutes you've uh, allowed Thank us. You. Thank you. Well, I know I'm going to take more than less than 12 minutes. Okay. <laughs> Three minutes I got? Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Pat Butler. I'm a member of the NOI, and I've been a member for almost a year now. And I work in the Kennedy Heights and the Allied community. And presently, um, this year, I work with revitalizing the community involvement at Kennedy 
and planning and organizing for the Northside uh, Grocery and uh, Willie Street Co-op. Um, and also I'm working with the Grocery Committee over in Allied Community. And assisting with organizing the grocery store in Allied, it's been a real pleasure, and I think it's, it's going to be a very successful. Through the NOI, they allowed me to give me some training so I can be better at doing this job. And also, I'm an individual that helped people with financial crisis and showing them how to live on $742 for a month with a budget of uh, zero. Okay? So that's what I do in the community. And um, the NOI has gave me the tools in order to go about meeting people, knowing who to talk to and where I can get the resources that to help people within the community. And I'd like to thank each and every one of you for uh, giving us the grant to do this. And also in the future, uh, hopefully I can take this information and be a good advocate for the city and the county and whomever else might want to use my services. Right now I'm free, and but I plan, <laughs> I plan in the future that you might hire me as a person in the community to do the work in which you guys uh, sometimes in the county services don't have enough people to do it. And I'm working for you right now freely. So, but you can do that, but through NOI, I was able to know who I can go to to get this information and the money. Thanks, Elizabeth. How are you My name is Kevin. I'm a member of NOI. Um, I'm from the Simpson Lake Point Neighborhood Center, and I started my own youth group called Change and Control. Uh, I work with young men from the age of sixth grade to twelfth grade. And um, as a member of NOI, I have learned and met a lot of new people, learned a lot of new things. My group started off in my garage for me and my 15-year-old son. And with the help of NOI, um, I'm in a facility at the Goodman Center. It also helped me have get my own vehicle. It also helped me get my own vehicle so I have a way to get the boys to and from group. And um, NOI have um, introduced me to a lot of good people, such as Paul. Miss Pat, Cliff, the one is here, Alex, and um, I look forward to being more involved in NOI. I think it needs to be around. It's a very helpful group, and in the future, I would like my TIC to become bigger and better and have more funding so I can do more for the boys. I always tell them, the harder you, the harder you work for me and the more you stay out of trouble, the harder I'm going to work for you. And I want to take them places and do things with them. And that's, that's what I do. Yep. I have one more thing to say, and I'd like to thank, um, for the north side, North Madison, we now have a grocery shuttle because, you know, we got a, um, a little food desert over there. And the city has allowed us to get a grant to be able to take people to the grocery store every, every day. But we run three days a week, and I'm the person I coordinate that program. And it's been very successful with being able to take people to the grocery store. And through Paul, he was one of the people that made it possible for that. So I'd like to thank you again for that. 
So, hi, my name is Paul Terranova. I'm the executive director at the Lucier Community Education Center, and um, you may know that the Neighborhood Organizers Institute is a collaborative project of the Lucier Center and the Goodman Community Center. Um, our program is set up to identify active residents from around the city, um, bring them together for monthly skills training, connect them to each other, um, and also provide support uh, between the trainings in, term, in the form of one-on-one -on -one mentoring and coaching. We have three goals. Um, developing the skills and understanding of the members, uh, increasing those skills and understanding of how you make change in the community, building members' power, and in our framework, that means building a network of relationships, a number of people that they can move, and then helping them move their own projects forward in the communities that they're, that they're working in. I know that a number of you are really interested in numbers and in the neighborhoods that we're touching this year. Um, so we have the NOI members who are active in Kennedy Heights, Allied Drive, Darbo Worthington, Meadowwood, Bridge Lake Point, Triangle, East Madison, Truax, and Park Edge, Park Ridge um, this, uh, this year. That could change, um, assuming that we get funded for a second year and we have a new cohort coming in. Um, we also have a member who's focused on the community of people with disabilities and a member who's focused on um, folks experiencing homelessness. So um, when you talk about numbers, things get a little bit more complicated in terms of as you think about um, community organizing, community capacity building. Um, we know that over 300 people have been touched directly by activities that folks in the in NOI have planned and carried out, individual support that they've provided. Um, I don't know exactly how you quantify Ms. Pat's work on the north side. Um, co-op or the Allied Drive grocery store. I mean, I'd love to just claim everybody on the north side is impacted and say that's um, – but, you know, there's a lot of ripple effects. And you think about Kevin's work with, with teens. Again, you could say the 20 kids who come through in a given year, that's the people who are impacted. But you could also talk about their families. You could also talk about their neighbors, right? Um, so when I think about the way that we evaluate, we evaluate on those three goals that I talked about because those are what – really the research says is, is what's important in terms of building strength, lowering crime, increasing health, all the different things that we do in neighborhoods. So um, I, I want to say thank you for creating this opportunity. It was, a, you know, for a number of years I've, uh, I've really been looking forward to the, the city stepping into this role, and it has at different times in the past. Um, I know that all of you know we can't just serve or enforce our way out of the issues that exist in our community, and, um, and investing in the leadership uh, and, the, and the skills of the grassroots folks who are doing stuff every day. I mean, none of the folks that we brought in, they were all folks who were already active, right? And investing in that and building that skill set is one of the key things that we need to do. It's a long-term strategy, um, just as everything else, so I appreciate your long-term support for it for us, for Centro Hispano, and for the other groups that are doing this as well. Thank you. And uh, Karen Colliers also following the registration. Yes. And actually, um, a member of my staff is coming, but I'm hoping she didn't get lost. So she'll probably pop in at some point. Um, but my name is Karen Collar. I'm the executive director of Centro Hispano. I know a lot of familiar faces here. Um, you know, I'm a firm believer in the models that Paul uses because I think it's the right approach to change our neighborhoods and change our communities. I think uh, when this opportunity came to the table, it was a welcomed relief. I think more grant opportunities need to have this kind of infrastructure in place where community engagement and community outreach is part of the norm. But having this emerging opportunity grant really gave us the space and the 
breathing room um, to develop community engagement at Centro Hispano. A little bit of history, our center is located on the south side, intersection of Fitchburg and South Madison. It's really a hot spot for Latinos. It's the highest percentage of Latinos in the 5713 zip code. So I really feel like we have a, a responsibility as an agency to engage our neighbors, our residents, so that they take, take, take ownership over Centro and take part in the programs that we have. Um, through the community engagement model that we've been doing, we spent a lot of time the last year and a half really strengthening our capacity to do this work. When I started at Centro, not enough people were visible out in the neighbors or in the community. And that's because for a lot of Latinos, I think it's not as common for them to be part of their, their community and be outwardly present. So Centro, we really wanted to create a home. Um, we developed a series of programs that are really informed by the community, driven by the people that we serve. And luckily, because it is my background also, they tend to center around wellness, around food equity, around nutrition, around mental well-being, and that's something that they drive. So over the last year and a half, we've engaged um, residents in activities and estimated around 55 to 60 families have been involved. Our goal through the Emerging Opportunity was to reach about 50 people. But like Paul mentioned, it's not only people that you're touching, but you're touching their children, their neighbors, their uncles, their aunts, their grandparents, and they all come at the same time. So through these activities, we now have a garden project at Centro that's manned by our community. We have a mercado. Um, here in Madison, people like to call it a farmer's market, I think, because maybe it's just what they feel more comfortable with. But in other large urban centers, at every corner you have a mercado, which is, is a space where people to gather, um, sell, um, engage in activities, children's activities, things like that. So it's every single Tuesday, and that's a product of our residents saying that that's something that they want. We have different um, uh, workshops and programming. Um, we have Zumba classes on Fridays. And what this has allowed us to do is really create that network that we talked about in our proposal, where we now have a base of participants where we can tap, tap into and um, really identify who are those popular opinion leaders that should be community outreach workers for Centro and for the Latino community that are neighborhood based on the south side. And I wanted to take three minutes if I could. Um, now, the next step is to really develop the curriculum of these community outreach workers, and that's something that we want to um, continue with now, and if given the opportunity over next year to get funding, really get that off the ground in partnership with Lucia and allow the four to six women that we've identified to take part in these trainings and become viable members of, of our staff capacity. Thank you. I've got one, one question right off the bat. Um, most work in terms of developing neighborhood organizers focuses on economic issues, job training, development, education, tutoring. Tell us a little bit more about health and access to health. Yeah. So at Centro, we believe that health is holistic. So it's uh, basically wellness is what we're talking about. For a lot of Latinos, what goes the quickest when you immigrate to this country is a lack of social capital, so social support, feeling isolated, that you can't really have the neighbors that really encouraged you to continue and, and face all the different struggles that you have in your neighborhood. You know, the South Side struggles with different challenges, but if we had the social capital in place, my argument would be that a lot of those challenges would be less 
lessened. And within our communities, it's about time that we try to find some of those resources within those in our neighborhoods. So I think there's a couple of different approaches. There's like the top-down, creating employment from the outside. But there's a sense of resilience that our communities need to have so that they're able to actually thrive from within. And uh, that's really what we try to foster. Has there been any work with Betty Banks mm-hmm. on health? On health at Access? Yeah. So one of the... Um, workshops that we're planning for the fall, actually Access is a trusted partner, is to expand the support for women who are pregnant. So Access has a really strong prenatal care program, but they find that postpartum a lot of Latina women are in need of support. So one of the um, workshops that we're planning with community outreach workers is to provide postpartum support for women at Centro, and that from Centro they would then feed back into Access um, to to uh, get that around services when they are pregnant. So when we mm-hmm. set up Harambe, mm-hmm. African-American mm-hmm. infant mortality mm-hmm. in this county and city was close to the national averages. Mm-hmm. Within two years of Harambe being set up, mm-hmm. infant mortality in Madison and Dane County actually dropped to, at one point, it was a steady decline below all other mm-hmm. ethnic and racial groups in terms of in terms of infant mortality. Mm-hmm. Two years after Harambe was closed, mm-hmm. it went back up again mm-hmm. for another four and a half, five years. It was studied, it was studied, it was studied. Mm-hmm. And there could be no there was no medical evidence mm-hmm. as to any interventions from medical professionals Mm -hmm. that made a difference. Mm -hmm. But the one thing we know in that period that existed was a group of women who were part of Harambe who may or may not have had influence in regards Mm -hmm. to better prenatal practices. In other words, it wasn't just a visit to a doctor every few months. Mm. It was a constant interaction and reminder of best medical practices. Mm -hmm. Betty has been working with us in regards to seeing if we can duplicate that again on the premise Mm -hmm. of involving the women. Mm -hmm. Is that where you're taking this? Yeah, and actually I've had conversations with Betty because um, so um, the home visits, I think... There's a lot of home visits that are uh, done in, in the city and the county from outside, people coming in, reminders. For the Latino community, that, that's not as effective for infant mortality rates. What you see being effective is when um, women learn from their neighbors, women learn from other women that are Latina, and they kind of inform themselves in these organic and formal networks. That actually is effective in reducing infant mortalities the longer Latina women are here. So it's a complement to what Betty is trying to do. Um, but and I think it's important because a one-size-fits-all model is not how it works here in the city. So you need to have different ways to provide community outreach and community support. So, um, yeah. Got another registration here, yeah. Ariel? Yeah. yeah. And I'm sorry, I gave a little bit of background, and okay. Mariela was going to speak a little bit more about the actual community outreach worker <coughs> curriculum and division. I got lost. Yeah. <laughs> Parking is awful in Madison. Um, so, good afternoon. My name is Mariela Quesada, and I'm the director for adult programs at Centro Hispano. So, um, almost 
a year and a half ago when um, I started to work at Centro, we had this um, idea that we we have noticed that people in the community there is there are not a lot of resources in health um, that um, that are accessible for people Latino people. There are resources, right? you know, people can go and have, go to weed clinics and they can go to Wingrack and access. But there is in the more grassroots um, efforts or um, or access, people many don't know what what they can do, where they can go. Um, Central Spanish is located in, a, I, I call it like a, um, an entry port for many Latinos that come from other parts of the state or other parts of the country, and they settle in the south side and they get, they understand the city a little bit more, and some of them stay and some of them move to another part of the city. So we're really in the epicenter of, um, of transit. So it's a really good time for us to catch people in the community that don't know where to go for resources, specifically for health. Um, and Centro is able to, pro you know, in the past we have been able to provide resources and a lot of referral. One of the things that we realized is that we need more than referral and, and offering like a list of people, places where people can go. We need people from our own community to keep working with all these new residents or already established residents um, because needs change and demographic change. And um, one of the things that we noticed is that the Latino community in Madison is getting more established little by little. So with that, needs are now different. And um, we're looking for more, um, not necessarily emergency firefighter services at Centro Hispano, but actually more in-depth services where people can not only engage with their own community and the community at large, but they're also able to start getting some of the skills that they need in order to progress into society. So um, the community health worker model is, is it's like a Pandora box that you open it and you really work well the model. It could be not only for empowerment and um, and hopefully more self-efficacy for the people who are trained as community health workers or promotoras, but they also are able to be resources in the community where other organizations like ours is not able to be in really odd time of the day, Saturdays and Sundays, um, and there are people that talk the language of the community. I'm not saying just that they speak Spanish, just they talk the language of of the path and of the of the lives and, and, and real life circumstances. So, what we're trying to do with our CHW community health worker, um, we really want to do, do it a little bit more holistic, not only looking at, at health, at physical health, but also wellness in a holistic way. Uh, we are not just, you know, we, are, we, are we have a lot of compartments in our lives, and, um, and we're looking at a lot of the social determinants of health and the built environment, um, and train these women, um, because most of them are going to be women for obvious reasons, um, to be able to navigate the city, to navigate other organizations, but also to start having skills that will be transferable for the for their own lives, like financing, like um, a public speaking, leadership, civic engagement, not only the component of health, per se. Mm -hmm. so, I have a follow-up question, maybe starting with you, Karen, and then um, to you. So um, you spoke, Karen, about this like need for city funding to build on infrastructure and that kind of untangible, the pre-work before you have even a program. And I just feel like that was a really insightful comment for us as 
funders and policymakers. So I wonder if you can speak a little bit more on that difference of, you know, it's, I always like to think like it's easy to fund a program that's ex- established and successful and everyone wants to throw money at something that everyone knows and loves, but sometimes government can play a role mm-hmm. in the capacity infrastructure building. Yeah, and I think Paul and I would agree to that. I think that's where, um, where the gold, golden ticket really is. An example being for this community outreach worker program, there's a model that's being implemented in in, uh, Wisconsin um, that's statewide. There's an actual curriculum that we're actually working to strengthen. Um, And then Mayela has these fascinating ideas about a co-op approach to work with the women. Um, So all that is in place. But what you need to do is lay the groundwork to get the right people through the door, the right popular opinion leaders, the ones that know their neighborhoods best, the ones that are actually the true experts out there. And for us at Centro, it was a very, it's, it's a changing time for our families. They're emerging, they're wanting to be more vocal, but we needed that space to really engage them so that they could trust Centro to the extent that they could. And you know, in a proposal, I mean, we, I wrote, I wanna work with Lucia and there's this training involved. And now that we've identified four to six women after a year, year and a half of work, we are ready to do that. But we need to have more time to actually really um, fully implement what we have in place. But I, I mean, I completely agree. I think city funding always asks for partnerships and collaboration, and it's easy to put that down. It's very, very hard to make sure that is deep and it's to the extent that it is, not only with an organization, but with your neighborhood and with your community. And in my mind, every program needs to be neighborhood informed. So. Mm-hmm. Just one follow-up. Um, so you started to answer, actually, my second question, which was how you were partnering with some of the other work, because I know yeah. like Planned Parenthood has a Promotoras program, and Sherry Oli is doing mm-hmm. the whole so work. Sherry, so Sherry's our, our advisor. She's okay. the one Mariela and, and Karime went and took a statewide training. Okay. And there's also great interest by other funders in the model that they have going on. Um, she introduced me to Sherry, and we're having coffee tomorrow morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, She'll bring the Medicaid dollars yeah. eventually, right? Exactly. So, yeah. And the thing is, you know, like Goodman and Meritor and um, UW, they've all been very supportive as far as the programming side, but it's the capacity. With the dollars from the city, we're able to get at least part-time of the funding for a program manager to get this off the ground. That's what no one else funds. Mm -hmm. Everything is there set up for when the program is actually in place. So, thank you. Further questions? Alderman Campbell? Not a question, but um, I think Pat my constituent um, was, she forgot to mention something about herself, in addition to being the um, great organizer that she is in Kennedy Heights and on the north side in general, she's also running for the Willie Street Co-op Board of Directors. So anyone who has a vote in that, um, and <laughs> I think that really just underscores the nature of this project, that you're not just developing leaders to work in your programs, you're developing people like Pat who go into already existing institutions and bring their vision for racial justice and, and social equity into the rest of the community. So I just want to recognize you for that, Pat. Yeah. Alderman uh, Thank you, Mayor. Um, please direct me when the appropriate time for recusal, but the statement. Now? This is... Okay. Um, I will be recusing myself from this vote, and I'd like to share why I'm recusing myself, is, is that I attend the uh, Neighborhood Organizing um, Institute myself, and I had a city uh, staff person ask the question, why is she as an alder attending this institute? 
and of course I should attend this institute. And the reason being is, is that I work in a neighborhood where we need to be building capacity, where we need to empower our population to be advocates for themselves. And many of the things that you've already outlined are the struggles that we're finding in Park Edge, Park Ridge, and that neighborhood. And, be, and to be able to take that education into that community is very, very important to me. Um, and so that is why I've been a part of the Institute. Um, I um, hopefully will become a trainer in the Institute as well. And because what happens is, is that we too often give our population fish. We'll feed you. We'll clothe you. We'll do all of those things. But it really is important to empower individuals so that they can fish for themselves, so they can feel a sense of uh, inclusiveness and respect and being able to um, to commit to their own way. And so I strongly support this, and I am recusing myself, but it is a very uh, powerful place to sit and to see people who are recognizing that, yes, I have power, yes, I can develop my own business, and to give the skill sets to be able to do that is very, very powerful. And so I strongly um, am pleased with the work that you've done and to take that training that you have learned in community organizing and building relationships and building those bases and taking it and really implementing it into the community in a very powerful way. So thank you and for allowing me to be a part of that as well. Thank you. Thank you. Further discussion? Mayor, I just have a question for staff, actually. If anyone else has questions for our registrants, they can. Please, go ahead. Okay. Thank you all. <laughs> I'm going to swap you out. <laughs> Thank you. Hi. So I just had a question, I mean, about how seeing this kind of out of context and wondering how this fits into our funding process. I know we're in the middle of looking at the study and implementing those recommendations, and I just wondered how, how and where this fits. I feel like it's a really good use of funds, but I just want to know our overall picture of where we're at kind of more broadly on funding community efforts, Jim. Um, I, I expect that as we proceed with, with implementing some of the um, recommendations of that, of the work that was done by FCI, um, and as we continue to stress collaboration and, and community engagement that um, we'll want to keep as a regular part of, of our efforts to, to develop and promote that capacity, um, some opportunity to continue the kind of work that you've heard described. But I guess, so I guess outside of the context of this specific funding, where are we at on kind of moving the funding study recommendations forward? Or do we expect to see funding announcements this year? You know, what's CDD's strategy for funding? Yeah, we, um, you might recall um, some of the conversations shortly after that report was released. Um, we talked a lot about the need to um, turn inward and, right. and develop the, the capacity within the division, staff capacity within the division that is, Certainly, um, front and center right now. What uh, what we are about. Um, we think that there um, may be a couple of program areas that um, are more ripe for um, releasing funds, particularly in uh, the homeless service uh, programming area and um, and some of the other housing work that we're doing. But 
um, we're a ways away from, I, I think, from taking a larger step in, in, in bringing um, some of the larger portions of that funding um, to bear in terms of a funding process. I don't expect that's going to happen this year. I'll just express my support for you continuing to do that internal work and focusing on that before we, you know, restart funding processes without recognizing the broader context. Thanks. Further questions? Discussion? Seeing none on the vote, all those in favor, aye. Aye. Opposed, no. Motion carries. One McHugh, Yes, thank you. Thank you. Next item is item number 10. Is there a motion to receive my very brief oral report? Move to receive the mayor's report. Thank you. Is there a second? Second. Okay. The reason I wanted to bring this to your attention is that the demands to work with our sister city partners are getting more extensive each and every year. If you go back to the first time we had a sister city, it was Oslo. And the logic behind that, obviously, was uh, Norwegians were one of the first settlers in the Madison area. And uh, as we got into the 1920s and 30s, they were a significant part of our population. We then started adding other cities, uh, Freiburg, Germany, Camagüey uh, in Cuba, Vilnius, um, Cities in Italy, in El Salvador, Japan. Uh, we've recently added another one. Meantime, about 10 years ago, Oslo sent us a notification saying that they were dropping us as a sister city. And the reason was non-involvement. So I don't know if we're going to spend the rest of our days rotating through sister cities but one of the things that's, that's happening is we have no office, no department where this is a responsibility. We've got a sister city committee made up of citizens who put out extraordinary efforts on their own. And the work, the administrative work, uh, falls into my office. And we are getting stretched thin on this, very thin. And... I've had an opportunity to visit four of our sister cities while there were sister cities, five altogether, one before it became a sister city. And these sister cities, regardless of their wealth and their resources, make a spectacular effort when they host us. Um, you've seen in the display cases in our building some of the gifts they've given the city of Madison. Um, they arrange for tours um, and real insight into their communities. They have dinners and dinners, and um, they really they really put out a tremendous effort. Our effort is pretty good. But in some instances, if we don't have a strong committee, or a committee does not have a lot of members with wealth, uh, we're really not able to reciprocate. We don't have visits to their cities. 
as they visit with us. And it becomes a challenge. So I just wanted to alert you to this. Um, I had hoped that she wasn't able to make it, that Joe Miller, um, who works very hard on our sister city relationship with Obihiro and does a lot of this by herself, might be here. Uh, we've got uh, Frank Alfano, who does a lot of the responsibility, takes on a lot of responsibility of our sister city um, in Italy. Yeah, Ricardo Gonzalez, who takes on a great deal of the responsibility of our sister city in Cuba. But if we don't have people with that skill set who are just as committed to their sister city, it's a challenge. I don't know what I'm going to recommend in next year's budget. Um, I'm reluctant to add more staff, but at the same time, we have to do more. And if you look at the sister city budget over the years, how it's grown in comparison to our commitment to our sister cities, the budget has not grown sufficiently. So your input, your thoughts are welcome. And move forward. Alderman Romo? It was a little before my time, but every budget season used to be like a blow-by-blow over this small amount of dollars. So we've really come a long way where this is routinely passed and accepted and appreciated. So I just want to make sure everyone knows that every year was a budget fight over sister cities. Um, so now that we're past that, I, what I heard you, from you, Mayor, when we had our last round of gifts is they were so generous, so many gifts, and we, we maybe didn't – I mean, gift-giving is one of those kind of – hard things you know you, it's not like an equivalence and it's from your heart and but you you know you kind of do feel like whoa they gave us a lot of stuff and we gave them a book so can we come up with a program where you know we have this the thought of is like we have all this great poetry that we hear at our um quarterly and there was that first year where they made posters out of the poems and there was one. It was just, just so glorious. I mean, is there a way that we could work with, partner with some of our art stuff that we could just create, you know, the art of, like, the, some posters or, I don't know, something that would just be very unique to Madison and our local artists? Let me, let me just say that in our last gift to Obihiro, we did want to go to a local artist. And the local artist basically provided us with a piece. This was a spectacular photograph of our city um, for I think it was $240 and this was a piece that he retailed sells for $500 um, and I don't think we should take advantage of our artists either I think we ought to be paying them fully what the market value of their piece is just because we're the city uh, maybe we've even got more of an obligation to pay. But I, I do think that you're pointing towards artwork is is very important. I personally had to go out to three galleries looking for appropriate gifts. And you know, maybe that's what we ought to do is retain someone and have them go shopping and get the stuff in advance and we get a stockpile of it. I don't know, but... That's what I'm thinking in response to your comments. Alderman Cheese. Um, <clears throat> I don't know that I remember what I was going to say now. 
Uh, oh, I'm, I had the opportunity to visit um, one of our sister cities uh, a couple of years ago, and um, uh, I think I paid for my own uh, way, at least for part of it, uh, surely because we don't dedicate a significant budget to these sort of things. Um, uh, but one of the questions that I had, um, and, and maybe it's just gone goes without saying, but I wonder if you could articulate the value of sister cities. Well, to, to put it shortly and succinctly, um, some of it can be monetized, but not all of it can be monetized. I think the value in terms of cultural understanding, uh, the value in terms of, in effect, opening our eyes, and it is especially important now that Madison has a larger and larger uh, community of people who were born in, in other nations and other continents who are now residing here. And while maybe if we have seven or eight sister cities, it doesn't match up perfectly with everyone who has moved here, but just a better understanding of what is taking place in different nations, different continents, uh, is, 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 I think, critical. But there may also be economic value to it. Um, I, I have no doubt that um, our longstanding relationship with Comagway is going to uh, have some beneficial consequences economically uh, as everybody is now scrambling to go to Cuba. Cubans remember who it was over 30 years ago uh, that established a friendship with one of their cities when there was a great deal of hostility. Um, the work that's done with Obihiro, which is such an important match with our university in regards to um, in regards to uh, um, agricultural work that they're doing and what we're doing. The, the university connection is, is very important. The work that's going on in Freiburg, which is one of the leading research areas in terms of energy, is, is very important. And on a personal basis, um, our sister city relationship with Montauban in Italy, I now know uh, who Gonzaga was and where the name of that university came from. <laughs> People in the room can say that. See? There's, so, <laughs> there's all kinds of values. I would be remiss if I didn't say there's a value of keeping people alive in war-torn places around the world that we've partnered with. And none of the ones that I could say that for were mentioned before. So let me mention, and I don't remember all the cities' names, but El Salvador, Nicaragua, and East Timor. So we've partnered with these cities and activists in our community who are doing outreach, like person-to-person -person outreach with communities around the world. So... I think you can say, with, without over-exaggerating, that we've helped shine the light of social justice. Thank you for bringing that up, because there's been extensive uh, collections of medical supplies and equipment uh, that's been sent overseas through our sister city program. 
Anything else? Follow the research? Yeah, I think your point, Mayor, to consider this is actually really important because kind of to Alder Cheeks' question, like, what is the value? We only get value if we use these relationships. And so it sounds like to varying degrees we are actively using these relationships and getting benefit ourselves and providing benefit to others. And it seems a little bit dependent on whoever wants to carry the torch at the moment. So it seems like an important conversation to be had. I don't know what the answer is, but it seems like we should have a, at least an objective for our sister city program that is well outlined um, so that we have some sort of even criteria um, before we add a new sister city that gives us at least some guiding principles and policy um, to make sure that we are having value added for everyone involved and we don't just get, you know, cut off the list of sister city because we aren't very active. And, and that takes work, obviously, which is the challenge, but it seems like that's something that could potentially be picked up by staff or partners. Thank you. That would be helpful. Yeah. To, to that end, you know, if we're clearly articulating the purpose of sister cities and the value that we hope to add to them and uh, the value that we hope to gain for our community, I think uh, it frankly makes it a much easier fundraising ask, right? I think there's tons of people in the community that um, probably ostensibly would be interested in sister cities, but right now wouldn't be able to write you a check because they don't know what it would do. Mm -hmm. uh, further questions, discussions? If there's no objection, do we agree we've received the report and we'll move on? Thank you very much. Uh, item 12, Board of Estimates Operating Budget Review Discussion. So our motion to receive the report. Move the reception of the report of the Thank finance committee. There's a second. Second. Thank you. Um, PowerPoint up here, but um, uh, we, we've heard from some of you about an interest of spending a little more time talking about the operating budget, and um, what we thought of in terms of a format would be to um, try to take advantage of the fact that we don't have a Board of Estimates meeting um, in August and schedule one meeting, try to um, get a quorum of the Board of Estimates and whoever from the council could come, and uh, we would spend some time as we're through this, I think talking about the operating budget as a whole, some of the terms that we use with it, where those dollars are allocated, um, some of the issues that uh, we're going to face with the uh, 2017 budget, and I'll be touching on that um, next week in that sort of hour or so before the council meeting starts, and that'll, I think, also give you a good grounding of, um, of where we're at with that. We're also going to um, change the format a little bit of how the agency heads and the department division heads come in and speak about their budget requests um, in October. And what we'll do is, um, I think, set up a sort of a PowerPoint format for each of them, and they can then um, have sort of clear information presented. And we thought in this meeting in August that would also be an opportunity for each of you to think about what questions do you want to ask the agency heads um, more maybe more specifically about their budget, um, and then we can also fold that into that that process um, and maybe get a little more value added out of the, <coughs> it's going to be three days this year that we're going to be spending um, having the agency heads in and talking about what's in their 
what's in their budgets. So um, if we just want to flip through this quickly, um, another thing we would try to do is uh, um, do some enhancements to the budget document itself, and you'll see that with the executive budget. Try to show you a little more clearly what things are changing in the agency budgets, so you'll sort of see where the starting point was, what sort of um, changes that might uh, have an impact on service delivery, and then any sort of other adjustments that might be going on. So you can see stepwise what are the individual, in effect, decision items that are taking you from the base uh, coming out of 2016 to the 2017 executive um, budget. Um, Another thing is we've, you know, we've seen this in uh, other communities with their budgets. They have a quick reference guide, sort of, a, sort of what are commonly asked questions, where do you find the answer to that question um, in the budget. And um, that's another enhancement that we're looking uh, to do. And Laura's been doing a lot of, uh, well, doing all the work on that to try to uh, change how we're um, presenting our budget, along with as we, and we've talked about this before, trying to get to a point of, um, having a much more robust online access to the budget, much more interactive. Um, and then also uh, try to do, um, when we do presentations on the budget, some more data visualization tools that better give a sense of um, where are those dollars. Um, and uh, that will allow you to kind of drill into what's in the budget, look at it in different ways, get a better picture um, uh, of how the budget's being used. It, uh, if some of you may have seen software out there, um, one product we're looking at is Tableau. Uh, some communities around the country have used that and have found that uh, it really has um, enhanced and added to the understanding of the budget for, um, from the council perspective. And um, so this is what I talked about. We'll uh, try to get a standard format for the agencies, have clear questions for them, Try to um, add your questions to that when we have um, the more in-depth discussion uh, in August. And that's what we would try to do. And what we'd also try to concentrate on are some of the areas that we know you've been interested in in the past. Community development contracts, where are we at with that? Um, funding for planning efforts. I know, you again, you've expressed a lot of interest about how our plans develop for parks, for um, neighborhoods, and so on. And then are there any sort of special initiatives in the public safety area? So what we would try to do is give you a high-level sense of how the budget's allocated, talk about some of the terms that we use. I know at a recent meeting we talked about the concept of turnover and how we don't completely budget all of the salaries because we know that there's going to be people who leave and some uh, vacancies that occur. So some of those terms, you understand that? And then um, try to dive into some of these um, uh, maybe a few of the specific issues. I, I would think we maybe spend two to three hours or so um, in, in that sort of format and try to cover the operating budget in a little more detail, get your question you'd like to have answered by the agency heads, and that's, that would be sort of the, uh, what we would try to accomplish in that August meeting. So those are our thoughts of trying to um, get at the, the interest that we've heard. Uh, from, from from some of you about how to um, how to look more closely at the uh, at the operating budget. Any feedback you have on that? We would we can hear from you right now. Thoughts? Yeah. I'm not remembering correctly, but um, 
can't remember if I just pulled it up. The fine, the budgets. So when we look at the budgets now, we can see the actual to the budget to when we get executive budget. Mm-hmm. Can we see that same cost comparison? Yeah, you'll see. Our, you'll see the actual for the uh, for 2015. Yeah. And then where, what the projections are for 16. 16. Okay. And then the um, what's in the executive budget. One thing that struck me last year, and that's probably because I was now on BOE and was hyper about it, is how much, and maybe last year was unique, how much money doesn't get spent and is being up for reauthorization. Is there some way to put that in a table? Yeah. And so that we, you know, we always think everything's important and we fund it, but then it doesn't always get done or for a variety of reasons. But That'll be a, we have shown reauthorizations in the you past. in the text, but is there some way to visualize it? Yeah, and we'll try to do that from a visualization perspective. Okay. We do have a table, and we're probably going to try to do more with that table, but there is a schedule up front in the capital budget that shows all the reauthorizations. And that was kind of new, it seemed like to me last year, like mm-hmm. all the things that were in that table. But, yep. And then the text for each item under the, you know, the, what mm-hmm. do we call the item? was often mentioned, but just have a bigger look at the whole agency and how much they've spent on, I don't know, maybe there's different ways. Yeah, we definitely want to um, to say we didn't spend all the money in this kind of category, but spend it all in something else. And one thing we'll be doing in the capital budget specifically is, um, so if you, last year the projects, you see a description of the projects, and then to the side you see the next year's budgets. We saw the 16 amounts for geo, other, and then total. What we'll be doing this year is showing those budgets for the projects by year by funding source so that you can see for each year of the plan what of it is borrowing, what of it is federal supported, state supported. We want to do a better job of really distinguishing where there's funding that we're controlling as a jurisdiction and then what's coming in as grants or other funding sources. I just remember that that budget amendment for the public market was one of the more complicated budget amendments I ever, like, co-sponsored. I mean, but that's the kind of thing you mean. Like, there's money from here, and there's this, and we're going to do this differently, and then there's that. It's just like, wow. Complex set of funding sources for that specific one. Plus, we had an interaction with the Metro um, budget, if I remember correctly, in that amendment. So, yeah, it was a pretty complex amendment. Maybe it's unique, but that was kind of like a head-spinning one. Other questions, discussion, all the room. Yes, um, and uh, my question basically is the same one that I asked last time. And as before we go into the budget deliberations, to really see what the alders have set as priorities, that would be helpful going in because you'll have a, a, a visual view of the, the 20 alders said that these are the priorities and where there was consensus. And so when something comes before us and there is a consensus, we can begin looking at that to see whether we are actually funding that to really say this is a priority rather than putting $10,000 or $5,000 to something that we say and we've developed as a priority, but we're not following through in our funding cycle. So I know that you're working on that, but if we definitely can have that before we go into the firm deliver- deliberations, that would be helpful as well. So where does that, who, who, where does that sit with who has it? Well, I think the, the 
Council priorities, I think, is probably a matter for the council to talk through about how you want to handle it. I know in the past we've had a separate meeting on those things, try to set your strategic priorities. Uh, we can maybe touch on that in this August meeting. Um, so I think I kind of look, Alder Rummel, if you have some thoughts on that from a council leadership perspective, but that is sort of a council process about how you want to establish what your priorities are for the budget. And we can talk through that process in August if you have some ideas and, and how we might be able to facilitate that process. Let me be a little bit more specific. Those colored sticky notes on the wall still are in my mind when we took our time and we really looked at what those priorities are. And there was a whole wall of colored sticky notes, and we broke those down into priorities. And I'm not seeing that since we committed that night to do that. And so that's what I'm really talking about. Where does it sit? Who has it? And how do we move it forward? Is it with the, um, which where is it now? That's my question. Who has as it? As far as I know, it's in CCOC. You know, that was part of our process um, under Elder DeMar to, collect, to have that retreat. So I, I don't know. I don't want to like just overstate what I know about it, but I, I believe it's in our, it's in our, we have, we have access to it. Okay. I think what Dave's saying is this is the mayor's budget, so we have to figure out how to inter, like inter, inter, inter. I don't want to say interfere, but that's kind of what it ends up being. But you know, inter, interact with yeah. um, the budget as it moves it forward. It comes later. Yeah. But surprising, not surprising, is that um, at some point the mayor's budget should possibly overlap some of those priorities. I would hope. I mean, one of the things, we're not going to agree on everything, of course, but those things that we are identifying as priorities, not only in the mayor's budget, but also our priorities as well, and those things that we can come together and look at. And so, um, so my ask, and this is the second ask is that where are those sticky notes and whatever table it's sitting on, how do we retrieve those, those and that we can see what those priorities are, because I, I don't know, a lot of time went into preparing that. So what we often do is that we have a great idea and we, we do it, and then all of a sudden we set it aside and we don't get back. There was great value in doing that process. We need to follow up to find out where it is and for us to take a look at it as we begin to do a deep dive into this, the budget process is what my ask is. We can certainly incorporate some of that um some of the outcomes from that meeting last year into what we're talking about in August. We can sort of remind you, okay, here's sort of what you decided or at least talked about mm -hmm. at that point. The other thing is, and we talked about this before, part of the effort with strategic management with the city, and we we're moving towards trying to establish citywide um, goals and uh, to help us move towards setting you know, priorities and goals within individual service areas within the budget. So that's another sort of path that we're on right now as well over the next few months. Mm -hmm. And you'll see that agencies right now are working on their budgets. And um, in addition to their line item information, the technical budgets that they're submitting to us, they're also submitting service 
uh, budget proposals that outline, you know, what are your goals for 2017? What are your key planned initiatives? How is this going to improve your customer's experience? And that's really a first step to getting people to think about their services in that way. And I think we have a lot. Um, we will continue to work with agencies, as Dave mentioned, with strategic, strategic management to build that infrastructure organizationally in the city. Um, so just like we shared the capital proposal materials with everybody uh, last month, uh, you will see the operating materials by service as well. That will hopefully give you a little bit more context about what's being requested. Anything more on this item? If not, can we conclude that the report's accepted? And we'll I have one more question. So one thing we did last year was we added to sort of this pay equity piece to the budget, so maybe that could go on the deeper dive, because that's really going to drive a lot of our budget. I mean, yeah, and, and I will cover that when I do the okay. presentation next week. I did cover it a bit um, when I spoke in front of you, but yeah, we can spend a little more time on that, although it's pretty straightforward in terms of what the estimated cost is associated with it. Okay, moving on then. Uh, closed session. Mike, closed session? Okay, can I have a motion, please, to go into closed session? Is there a motion? I move to go into closed session. When the Board of Estimates considers the following item, it may go into closed session. Pursuant to 19.85-1G, Wisconsin statutes, which reads as follows. Conferring with legal counsel for the governmental body who is rendering oral or written advice concerning strategy to be adopted by the body with respect to litigation in which it is or is likely to become involved. If the Board of Estimates does convene in closed session as described above, upon completion of the closed session, notice is hereby given that it may reconvene an open session to considering the following item without waiting 12 hours, pursuant to Wisconsin Stat Section 19.85, Prens 2. Thank you. Motion, is there a second? Second. All those in favor, aye. 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 Roll call. Cheeks. Aye. Eskridge. Aye. McKinney. Aye. Rummel. Aye. Wood. Aye. Hoglin. Unanimous aye vote. Five ayes, no opposed. We're in closed session. People could be waiting out there for months. <laughs> never really ended. Maybe there's somebody watching live. They're waiting. Is this one of those that the tree falls in the forest but nobody hears it, it doesn't make a noise? Adjournment. Second. All those in favor, aye. 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 Motion carries.